All the Lonely People. Written and produced by me, Jason Nelson. Chapter 11 Standing in front of the mirror, I can see what a mess I am. I haven't showered in days. Dark rings encircle my eyes. The sparse facial hair I have has grown in patches. If I cared enough to notice, I probably would have noticed the stench of body odor. My parents are worried. Today was the first day they didn't call. Instead, they called the priest and had him stop by. When I opened the door and saw him, hearing his pious intonation as he asked, How are you doing, my son? I was too shell-shocked to say anything. This was the first person I had talked to face-to-face in over a week. Shaking his hand was the first human contact in just as long, if not longer. Come in, I mumbled. As he followed me inside, I turned on a couple lights, picking up discarded delivery boxes off the sofa and coffee table, carrying them into the kitchen and placing them on top of dirty dishes piled up on the counter. Do you want some water? The priest waved it off, so I filled up a cup for myself and sat down on the opposite end of the couch from him. There was a long silence between us before he asked if he could pray. Are you asking me to see if saying a prayer would benefit me so that you could feel better about your presence here? Or are you asking to say a prayer so that a prayer might give you peace and comfort? I asked. How are you doing? He responded. Your parents are very worried about you. I haven't seen you or Eleanor at church since the funeral. Do you believe in ghosts? I asked abruptly. No, he said. Not in the traditional sense. I think people might experience what they name as ghosts, but it isn't a ghost in the traditional Hollywood sense. I believe that people experience one of three things. Either they are experiencing a blessed vision of an angel or saint that is living within the presence of God, or they are seeing a demon in the form of a loved one, or they are seeing a vision of a loved one in purgatory that's in need of prayers. What if the person is just crazy, I ask. Do you feel like you've seen something, he asks. I'm silent. I believe that souls can act in this world if they are in need of prayers and God permits it, he said. Have you tried praying? Typically, if everything becomes silent during a prayer, then it's a soul in purgatory. Why do you feel that Veronica is in purgatory, I asked. Most souls, when they pass are in need of cleansing before they enter into heaven. Don't you think she suffered enough? Why wouldn't God give her a free pass after all the suffering and pain and dying and leaving her daughter without a mother? Everyone has a little dirt on their soul, the priest said. Especially women, since they were the source of Adam's sin. Get the fuck out of my house, I say. The priest looks at me calmly. Let's say a prayer for her soul. There's a muscle between the neck and shoulder when, pinched, elicits a sharp, debilitating pain. Standing slowly, I take two steps towards him, one hand pinching that muscle while the other grabs him by the front of his shirt. 
He sputters, taken by surprise, but doesn't fight me as I push him towards the door. Wordlessly, I open the door and shove him outside, shutting the door behind me. Leaning against the door, I let myself slide down to the floor. Something feels broken inside me, as if a distant earthquake was pushing a tidal wave towards me, looming over me, almost to the point of crashing down and destroying everything. Pulling my knees to my chest, I close my eyes, letting my thoughts drift. We're in Veronica's apartment. All is quiet. She reaches out to me as I'm rushing around trying to get out the door for an appointment. My focus is on the task, not on her. Veronica grabs my hand as I walk past, grabbing my jacket. She pulls me into an embrace, wrapping her arms around my back and shoulders, but I don't have time. I need to leave, so I inhale, my chest pushing forward as it inflates, ending the embrace as I walk out the door. We are sitting in our house, having dinner. Eleanor, not even a year old, sits between us in a high chair. I'd gotten home from work later than usual. I was tired and hungry, and as soon as I walked in the door, I started to judge Veronica's organizational and planning skills as dinner still wasn't started. Veronica tried to explain that Eleanor was off her typical napping schedule, but I saw so many different paths that day that could have been taken that would have led to an on-time dinner that I just took over, hastily peeling and chopping vegetables, laying them out on a stone baker sheet, and placing it in the oven as I started to cook chicken thighs on the stove. In the background, Veronica paced, bouncing Eleanor on her hip, asking if she could help, but I dismissed her saying that I had everything under control. As we sat at dinner, all was quiet except for the occasional squeals and intense mashing of food coming from Eleanor. This wasn't unusual behavior for me, and my assholery typically continued for the rest of the night. All I want is for you to say you're sorry, she says quietly. I don't mind helping with dinner, I say. If you had given me a heads up, I would have tried coming home earlier so that we could have had dinner at a normal time. I understand, she says. But it's not about what you said, but the way that you said it. I'm sorry that you misinterpreted what I said, I responded. It's not really an apology if you're not admitting fault. I don't feel like I need to apologize. I came home with the expectation that I could sit, eat, and relax. There was no heads up that I'd be entering into this chaotic mess. My day is chaotic enough. Well, I'm sorry that I failed your expectations in playing the part of a 1950s housewife. I shove the rest of the food on my plate into my mouth. I'm going out. Where are you going, Veronica asks. Out. I just need some time to wind down. I'll clean up when I get home. She calls my cell as I'm driving and I send it to voicemail. If she wants to know where I am, she can use the phone location app that she always forgets that she has. Pulling into the hole-in-the-wall comic book shop, I go in. Escapism is key. I haven't bought any comics in a long time. What was disposable income is now going to disposable diapers. I'd still stop by, looking at the covers on the shelf, appreciating the art while remaining confused about the current story arcs. Occasionally I'd buy trades, but only for stories that began and ended within it. 
There were so many crossover events that it was easy to accidentally pick up a tray that was only one part of a story. And before you knew it, you had an irritated wife wondering why you had overspent your allocated monthly budget again. Flipping through a trade, I'm tapped on the shoulder. Do you work here? No, I say, turning back to the trade I'm flipping through. I realize I was too short and not very helpful, so I look back, but she's already walking away. I watch her walk down the aisle, appreciating her short, edgy haircut. She was attractive. My mind wandered, building a fantastical relationship with Comic Book Girl. Would she understand me better than Veronica? Would she accept my various psychoses? Would she apply emotional words and phrases when it wasn't intended? It wasn't the first time I had let my mind wander. There was a girl at the coffee shop with a bird tattoo on her wrist. A female co-worker I'd worked long hours with. A woman running ahead of me on the trail. But then I start feeling guilty. Why was I thinking such thoughts? Why did I think that Veronica didn't understand me or accept my psychoses? Why did I lack empathy? Was it because at the heart of it all I was a borderline sociopath? It was a lack of control. It was a lack of trying. It was a lack of trying to control what I had allowed to unravel. Sometimes I wondered what was wrong with me. Driving home that night while crossing a bridge, I look in the rearview mirror and I see a semi merge into the right lane, pushing a black family sedan against the guardrail. The car looks like it's being squeezed like a bar of soap until it pops out, flipping, the trunk popping open and suitcases and clothes tumbling through the air. Love is hard. No one ever told me that before. Love had always seemed to be the easiest human emotion to convey because it happens naturally. When things were new and fresh, the fabric of our relationship was a tight weave. There were moments in time when love was everything. It radiated from her every day, but after a while it was only a spark in me on most occasions. I had forgotten what it meant to get lost within the idea of love. To fully let go and just let it wash over me. I couldn't keep holding on to this idea of Veronica. I had to let her go so I could fully embrace what it means to be a father and to love a child. Even though Eleanor was without a mother, I had to provide her with a sense of whatever it is that mothers give their children. Fishing my phone out of my pocket, I call my parents and ask them to bring Eleanor back home. Then I began to cry. The weight that had been present for so long began to shift, and I feel a brief moment of euphoria before I choke and gasp and sputter, beginning to shake and sob as I let Veronica go. My head is in my hands, my hands resting on my knees as I catch my breath, watching the tears mark the wood flooring beneath me. A warm, gentle hand touches my shoulder. Looking up, it's Veronica. Her face is curious and full of empathy and life. Are you dead? She asks. 
All the Lonely People is written and produced by me, Jason Nelson. Original soundtrack and composition by Tone of Just Tone Music. Sound editing by Brian Kaler. This show is made possible and ad-free through your contributions. You can support us at patreon.com slash people. You can also purchase our ebook on amazon.com, as well as our soundtrack through iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite player. Spread the word about this podcast by following us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for All the Lonely People Podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes. Share it with your friends. Tune in next week for another chapter. And remember, don't be lonely.